Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Welcome everyone watching and welcome to Joe Eyre and Glenn Casella for joining me where we will be sharing our perspectives on the gaming scene in Africa. Should we start with some introductions and what we do? Uh, would you like to go first, Joe, followed by Glenn? Absolutely. Hello everyone. So nice to uh, see lots of people here. So I'm, uh, I'm Joe Eyre. I am based in sunny Cape Town, South Africa, and I work remotely for Quixel at Epic Games. Uh, I run the marketing communications for Quixel, and our business unit is responsible for uh, 3D scanning operations. Um, and we're really trying to bring new levels of re realism to, to games, to VFX, art viz, product viz, automotive, and more. Uh, so I have lived and worked in Africa for just over a decade now. Um, I lived in Accra, Ghana, uh, for about 18 months. Spent a few months in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, Lagos, Nigeria, and then I moved down to Joburg in 2011 and then later to Cape Town. Um, and my background is in communications and marketing uh, and, and strategy consulting as well, uh, specifically for tech uh, and entertainment industries. So hello, that's me. Cool. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll kick off with me. So hi, my name's Glenn. Um, so I've been writing about Huffington Post, a critical hit to um, IGN as well. Um, and then I've also been in advertising for the last five years. I'm a creative director. Um, and then very recently, um, obviously, esports has been something that I've been uh, quite passionate about. Um, and I recently joined an uh, esports gaming organization, Nibble Esports. And I'm the creative director there and just sort of helping them um, from, from that part of the side. So very much gaming and esports is a, a huge passion of mine. Great. And so I'm Sean, I'm based in Cape Town. I head up publishing partnerships and business development at Carry First, uh, the largest mobile game publisher in Africa, where we focus on both regional and global deals. Before joining industry, I've spent the past 10 years as an entrepreneur with experience in investing and consulting, as well as in the events industry. I've done over 400 events across the public and private sector. Great. So we'd love to, you know, uh, kick this off and bring up traditionally Africa hasn't been a great focus in the in the game industry. Uh, starting off, starting off with you, Joe, and then moving to Glenn. What have you noticed that is spurring the growth? Wow. Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, I think uh, Africa is is somewhat of an underdog uh, in the industry, and uh, I think that obviously the the smartphone. Uh, penetration that's been growing massively over the over the past decade or so, 
um, as well as better connectivity, better internet speeds, is really turning more more Africans towards um, towards games, particularly on mobile. And I think that given that Africa does remain a mobile first, and in many many instances actually a mobile only continent, I think that that's where we'll continue to see a lot of the growth, certainly in terms of mass adoption. Um, so that'll be in the casual social mobile gaming space. Um, but in terms of expenditure, I think you know we've got a growing pool of PC gamers, growing growing pool of, of console gamers, um, and that's going to equate to more and more revenue. I think, if memory serves me right, the um, uh, we're looking at about equivalent of four hundred million dollars uh, within the next couple of years, and that may seem quite small when you're comparing it to to Western markets, and it and it would be. Uh, but actually, when you look at it as a whole, and you look at how quickly that, that that has actually come up. It's uh, it's really significant. And if you look at it in terms of uh, audiences and, and when you look at the demographics here, um, streaming services, for example, don't, aren't worth anywhere near that yet in, in this region. Um, and you know we've got a, a very young uh, demographics in Africa, super young population, increasing disposable income. Um, so that's that's going to be really exciting to see how, how that all works for us. Uh, and I think the other the other side of things is really looking at the convergence of industries, right? So, you know, it's been interesting when you look at a lot of the gaming studios uh, based here in South Africa, particularly in Cape Town here. Um, a lot of them don't just do game development, right? So they they do a lot of animation, and a lot of them do product visualization. Um, so you're when you're talking about games here, uh, you're not just talking about games, really. You're talking about uh, impacting other verticals. Um, automotive is certainly something that I've, I've seen come up a lot more recently. VFX, um, South Africa, certainly Cape Town as well is, is a hub, not just for games, but also for, for entertainment industries in general. And it's been super exciting to see that develop over the last five years or so. Great. And uh, love to hear your thoughts, Glenn, as well. Yeah, so just a little forewarning. Um, I'm hotspotting on my phone, so if I come in and out of connection, uh, that's what it is. But yeah, and in, in terms of sort of just you know what's sort of um, leading the growth, um, I think you know something that we looked at it, especially from a gaming and sort of esports lens. Um, I think mobile gaming is only now really being taken a lot more seriously than it was in the past. I think there's often been this sort of preconceived idea that you know if you're a mobile gamer, you're not a real gamer, uh, you know, and that's to be honest, is really sort of restricted a lot of the growth because, you know, we are in Africa and we are in a place where mobile penetration is massive. Um, and it's very much, you know, the primary, sometimes the only um, form of access that people have to to sort of internet and to, to the world outside there on the web. Um, and I think as people started to look at the growth of, of gaming on a mobile platform and actually seeing how seriously those games are. And I mean, if you look at some of the games that have come out now, you know, whether it's from um, Android or iOS, I mean, those games are stunning. They're, they're absolutely beautiful mm -hmm. games. I mean, you get games on phones that are winning awards for full game design. Um, so, so the gaming space has become really, has been taken a lot more seriously now. And I think because of that, that's opened up a, a wave of new, you know, a new players and new user bases that are, you know, fueling the growth. I think if you look at sort of the rise of, you know, 
um, Fortnite on mobile and PUBG M and even Call of Duty, a lot of massive games are traditionally on consoles and, and the such are actually starting to go, we need to really tap into to the player base on mobile. Um, and I think those, a lot of the, that sort of thinking is, you know, coming to terms of technology and realizing mobile is actually a really, really powerful space to be in. And I think that excitement is actually starting to draw people in. Um, and, and I think that's helping, especially here in, in Africa, but specifically in South Africa, it's really helping to, to, to feel growth um, in, a, in a way that a lot of um, other um, industries or aspects of the industry, such as console and PC, aren't seeing that same level of, 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 of growth. Sure. And Joe, you spoke about the age. It's, it's exciting because the average age in Africa is 19, uh, the youngest uh, demographic globally. And from a mobile perspective, uh, looking at the CPIs, you can be looking at costs of about uh, 10 cents. So that's exciting. Something else to add. 15 of the 30, 15 of the 30 fastest growing countries in terms of real GDP growth is in Africa. So Glenn, we've discussed this before and would love uh, for you to share. What is your thoughts on how countries in Africa have been working together in industry? Yeah. Look, I mean, it's 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 an interesting conversation I had. Um, I think it's it's been had a few times, as you said. Um, I like look. I don't I don't think the collaboration is quite there. I think we're still quite a ways away from it, and for for various reasons. Um, and I mean, some of them are controversial, some of them are not. Um, I, I think overall we kind of have very, a very insular view of of our industry. Um, and I think even within the industry, so I mean, even if you narrow it down to within the South African gaming and, and esports scene as well, um, we're very, very divided, very fragmented. And that that very much, that stifles a lot of that growth because now it's a lot of people competing for very little. Uh, and, and so when you're sort of fighting within us for a very small pie, you don't get a lot of winners, right? I mean, everyone gets really, really tiny slices. Um, and then when you take that sort of mindset and you sort of, um, you know, increase that to within Africa, I also don't think enough conversations are being had. Um, and then it's a funny conversation because, you know, when whenever you see games sort of go like, oh, we're doing this world championship, so we're doing these, you know, global qualifiers, and then Africa doesn't get included, I mean, people lose their mind. They get so upset about it. They're like, oh, what? It's not global unless yeah. we're involved, which is a fair point. But it's so funny because when that happens on a global on a global stage where Africa gets left out, um, there's always a lot of um, outrage and a lot of anger, and rightfully so, right? I mean, you know, we are a space that we're trying to to show that there's amazing stuff happening. I think part of this chat is to to show the really great things that are happening within the continent. Um, but I think we forget that conversation when it comes into the spaces that we know and love, right? Um, and so I think you know, within South Africa, collaborations being something that it's very difficult to do still. I think people are very set in who they are and who they work with and sort of their, their, their space. Um, and then when you take that in terms of conversations globally, uh, so in terms of conversations across the continent, that's even more so, you know, it's very much exacerbated. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge missed opportunity. Um, I think now people are starting to have conversations and I'm having conversations with a few people across the continent where we kind of going, guys, let's, we have this massive continent with diverse people with a lot of talent and skill sets. And there's so much potential and opportunity here that we actually just need to start talking. And that's why I'm so excited to be here and chatting because it's literally having these sort of conversations are going to hopefully pave the way for, for, for um, Africa to start looking within and start looking at how do we grow our continent in the scene here and really showcase it to the world and not wait for, for the world to go, oh, okay, Africa's arrived. Like, Africa's here. Like, let's have these conversations now. Um, so, so my hope is that we do start to become more collaborative, but I think right now we're still quite a way away from, from, from that. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think the 
it's not particular to this industry that South Africa is a little bit insular. And I've got to say that it's, it is often South Africa that's the insular one. And I think, as you say, massive, um, you know, it's to our detriment. There's, there's huge opportunities that are missed in doing that. And I was, uh, I was having a conversation recently with a, an, an Amir evangelist. And, uh, and he said, oh, I, you know, I went to um, uh, South Africa Games Week this year. And then he said that it was actually just Cape Town, sorry, Africa Games Week. And he said it was actually just Cape Town Games Week, which is a bit sad, right? Like, you know, and, and, but it's true. A lot of, a lot of, the, um, a lot of the, the game, game development studios are in Cape Town, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, I think it's often a good thing to create a hub. Um, hubs often do help with the, the investments side of things. But it's also a little bit of a shame, uh, given there's, there's so much talent uh, elsewhere, and it, it's um, it'll certainly help us all just by, as you say, making that pie bigger. Um, and we've got we've got to increase that investment, and the only way to do it is to really work that work together, um, just to ensure that our talent has the right kind of mentorship, the right kind of m mentors that are both from within the continent and, and externally. Uh, and yet, yeah, now is not the time to be to be insular anymore. We've got to we've got to work together a lot better across the continent. Sure, I, I do believe we all have a part to play and, you know, I'd, I want to do this right now live. Uh, someone I'd like to introduce you to, Glenn, is Afro Gamer. He's doing some mm. exciting things in the esports space. So offline, we can definitely set that uh, introduction up. I'm a big believer yeah. in a rising tide lifts all boats. And from our side as Carry First, we're working really hard to uplift the scene across the continent. We're working with Meet to Match, uh, organizing tickets for conferences for developers in Africa, just trying to play our part. So Joe, you have quite a lot of experience working remote. I I'd love for you to elaborate more about the potential you see in terms of talent on the continent, as well as potential challenges that you are noticing with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just noticed a, a comment come up from from Afrogamer himself. So that was a great, great timing, actually, just saying yeah. that I think that communities are, are um, collaborating better, beginning to collaborate better because of COVID-19. And, and that certainly kind of links in with the remote working thing, I think, you know, I've worked remotely for a lot of my career. And um, uh, for in, in some ways, I was saying the other day, it's been quite nice for me having other people working remotely as well, because everybody gets into that mindset of you have to work, you have to work maybe harder to collaborate, um, but in, in doing so, you end up having brilliant conversations and people's minds are more open to the fact that I can have, in theory, I can have a coffee with some guy in Amsterdam, I can have a lunch with somebody in, in New York, and then, you know, when my uh, my colleagues come, come online in California, we can chat later as well. So it really does, in many ways, uh, bring the world closer, not just in terms of the tech that's been there for ages, but also in terms of the mindset. Mm -hmm. So I've really liked that. Um, and you know we've we've spoken about a little bit about the the overall consumer demand, um, but we've also you know we haven't looked yet at, at talent in Africa, and there's there's massive talent in Africa. One of the most talented technical artists I know actually is originally from Mauritania, um, and he's completely self-taught, uh, and he was headhunted by a, a, a Swedish Swedish um, studio. He moved there. Um, I worked with him for a little while at Epic Games, and now he's running his own business in Stockholm. And you know, this is incredible. And I think that um, it's a great incentive for for young Africans to get involved in the space. But I also can't help but think that if we were a little bit better at nursing and supporting our talent across Africa, at, at building these these hubs within Africa, 
um, then perhaps we won't have quite so much brain drain. And I really hope that people like that maybe consider coming back at some point. And, and, and you know, given all of the experience that they're taking overseas, bringing that back, bringing the, the ex exciting stuff that they're seeing in Africa, taking that to the world. Um, and I think this, this overall thinking about the fact that you don't have to hire based on where you are anymore. You can hire based on talent. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with a business that thinks that way. Um, and, you know, I've, I have colleagues across uh, five or six different time zones that I work with on a daily basis. And that can be a challenge. But you also get, you know, you get into a groove with, um, you know, asynchronous working and, uh, and it works well. Uh, and it means that anyone, regardless of where they're from, cannot, they don't just have to say, oh, I'm based in Johannesburg. Let me look for a job in Johannesburg. No, mm. look globally. Look at where you can add value and where the problem that you can solve is is uh, uh, you know can be best placed. So super exciting space. Great time to be thinking a bit like that. And Joe, in in terms of the challenges, uh, why do you believe more aren't being hired from Africa, and what do you think? Do you think this trend is is going to be changing going forward in in our industry? Yeah, look, I think it, it's it, there's a few factors at play. The first one is that a lot of um, people across the continent don't think about it because it traditionally hasn't been an option, right? So yeah. um, when people are, like I said, when people are looking for roles and looking for opportunities, they're not necessarily thinking externally, internationally, overseas, um, and they should. Uh, because a lot of companies will consider hiring you um, if you're good enough, regardless of where you are. So that's the first point. Um, the second point is on, on the side of the actual employers and the businesses. Uh, and I think, you know, to, to Afro Gamer's point, there's, there's a, a change in mindset, certainly. Um, but there needs to be a lot more help within our own continent to mentor and train uh, and invest in, in the right kind of education and mentorship that we need to to really bring these guys through the ranks and and local role models as well definitely and speaking of challenges uh would love to hear more about the dilemma you face glenn being part-time in esports despite it being a full-time passion what did you what do you yeah. believe is needed to ensure more of those in the scene can go from part-time to full-time Look, and I think, I mean, you know, a, a point that Joe makes around sort of not keeping your mindset so focused on where you are is actually quite a big part of that, I think. Um, I mean, there's a few, there's a few, you know, local talent and, and from from pro players to 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 shardcasters to desk analysts that have actually worked overseas and have gone overseas and, and learned and got a whole lot of experience then actually brought that back to help sort of elevate the, the scene further to get to that same sort of global standard or world-class standard, if you will. So I think that sort of mindset is one Thing already and those kind of opportunities and we're starting you know we get those every now and then i don't think we're well poised as a you know uh, as a content to really make the most of it um but i but i do think uh one of the big things to you know to overcome would be again opening broadening our horizons um and it doesn't even have to go as far as going overseas it's just let's look at the whole continent and and one of the big things is what i'm really hoping to see is sort of this sort of pan-african movement um 
around getting people to just work together as, as a continent and really collaborate. And we don't need to worry about, you know, there's this you know, a giant major for one of the biggest games in Europe. Let's create one of ours here, like our own one here. And and those brands are, you know, overseas are looking. I mean, you know, you mm. see you see guys like sort of Nodwin um, who have taken that model. I mean, and they've they've had a huge success in India. Um, and, and and again, it's a model that it was a, it was a market that people weren't really looking at, even though it, the population size is enormous. But no one really looked at that model, but they went in and with the team and with the people there and really created a scene that's now bustling. Um, I, you know, I was even on one of their one of their shows where we were getting to talk about you know, esports um, from a uh, from an African perspective. So I think the first thing is definitely to broaden our horizons and not be so set in our ways of going. I'm in here. I'm here. I live here. So this is why I need to work. Um, and, and I think the second thing is also um, within even South Africa itself. I think is also kind of. Being more business savvy, I think uh, people people there's a lot of passion and uh, within gaming and esports and people love what they do. But I think people forget that at the end of the day, we it's not a charity. Unfortunately, uh, money needs to be made, um, and, and when brands get involved there has to be uh, a financial incentive for them to do that. And I think that's kind of the second hurdle that I think we're still trying to overcome. Uh, I think people want to get flashy headlines and, and big stages and get those, you know, get the really, the, like the money shot. But when it turns out that, you know, there wasn't any money made or the brands actually got burnt um, in the past because they, they invested so much money and got very little ROI out of it. Um, it's something I've, I've, I've constantly brought up. And I think coming from an advertising background, brands is something I'm always thinking about like what is a brand getting out of getting involved within gaming and esports and I think if we were if we were able to to broaden that horizon to within Africa brands would have a lot more incentive to get involved um, and I think you know you look at you, a lot of brands do work across the continent a lot of brands don't look and as you know at, at markets individually I mean to a degree of course but they have a, a Africa zone for example like that's kind of how they, they they group things and so if we can actually work together to to create that base that will help us to to kind of get esports and, and gaming from this part-time thing into something that's quite feasible because right now it's not um, I mean you get some of the top teams that get paid by you know by orgs and they sometimes get to go overseas um but it's not there's not enough money being made uh, you know in, in, in any way that's sustainable um or, or long term and, and i think you see the trends as well show that um, i mean price pools started to you know pick up pick up pick up and everyone's getting excited about the the, the hype but again it just wasn't sustainable and so you saw sort of the price pool numbers sort of go down a bit um so so it always i mean it's a, i think it's going to be a, a theme that comes across throughout is really it's about collaboration and i think when you're not when you're not trying to fight for a thousand viewers but instead, you were actually, you know, different tournament organizers and different orgs are, are fighting for hundreds of thousands of viewers. That makes it more sustainable because then you also don't feel the need to, to be so combative and it allows for more collaboration because everyone knows everyone's going to get something out of this at the end of the day. So, so really, it's about just broadening the, the, our mindset, really, and broadening our horizons and going, we have this entire continent of hungry, passionate people. I mean, I see the stuff that's coming out of like Ghana and Kenya and, I'm, and, and Nigeria, and I get so excited excited about it and I'm like why do I have to hear about it through someone else or this would be stuff we should be talking about all the time because it's really really like such dope stuff is coming out of there um, and, and as well as here and I think there's so many learnings we can have from that as well and, and start to build those relationships and, and those networks to make it to make esports something that we can do full-time because I would love to do this I could talk for years about games so I would love to be able to, to make it a full-time a full thing Indie game business 
has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. And just, uh, just a quick shout out to, to Nick Hall. Uh, I've just seen him pop up in the comments. He's done incredible work um, in, in this collaboration effort and this community um, uh, building, particularly within South Africa. And he, yeah, he mentions that getting, getting studios to come back to Africa um, and, and set up here, it's a challenge. It's a massive challenge. And I don't think it, that's gonna change overnight, uh, but it's these kind of conversations that, that we need to keep having, as, as Glenn mentioned, uh, so that we can, we can push the air. Uh, those barriers a little bit yeah a, a big shout out to nick uh, the great work that uh, he does and elaborating on that uh, the funding that we've received uh, does prove that there is potential and there is a market and i guess it's either you can look at it as pressure i like to look at it as support because a lot of people in industry including uh, nick hall uh, has been excited about the $4 million that we have raised and it helped prove there is a market in Africa and hopefully more, more will want to come back to Africa and really grow the market and grow the scene because that's good for everyone. Having said that, in emerging markets, uh, there are certain uh, differences, I should say, and depending on where you're listening from and what, what your experiences are, operating in these emerging markets uh, have connectivity and data constraints. Uh, starting with you, Joe, and then heading over to Glenn, uh, what have your experiences been? Yeah, uh, good question. And I'll try and I'll start with the, the good things, right? The, the pros. So connectivity and internet speeds are a lot better than they used to be, a lot better. Mm. And like I said, I've, I've been living in, in, um, in the, on the continent for, for 11, 10, 10 or 11 years. And just within that time, it's like worlds apart. So, and now we're seeing 5G rollout, brilliant. Um, mm. We've got Amazon Web Services with their, um, uh, with local data centers here. Great, really good stuff happening. Fiber to the home is growing, although it's patchy at best once you get out of the, the major cities. Um, but uh, you've still got things like fair usage policies, which uh, really means that uncapped internet isn't necessarily uncapped at all. Uh, so there's frustrations there. Um, data is expensive. Uh, there's no getting away from that. So when you're looking at the mobile space, um, it's expensive, certainly when you put it in the context of overall spending power, it's actually cheaper than data is in North America, but in North America, it kind of matters less. Um, but it, it is expensive if you compare it to other, other BRICS companies, uh, companies, sorry, countries, you know, so if you look at Brazil, Russia, India, China, it, it's a lot more expensive and it's certainly more expensive than uh, many other places um, uh, within Europe. 
Uh, and if you look at South Africa compared to the rest of Africa, South African data prices are bonkers. Eh? So um, that's something that is is still a challenge. Um, so we we really need to look at how we can help that help that infrastructure and help that connectivity um, as far as possible. Yeah, and I think I mean adding on to that, I mean even especially in in, in the gaming space, um, you know the the barrier to entry is so high. Um, and I think, you know, from not just getting the internet connection, but I mean, even the, the hardware to game. And then when you get to the point where you also have to game at like a professional level, then there's, there's even more costs. I mean, I mean, the amount people have to spend on PCs, I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd. And that completely prices out a huge portion of the market. Um, and I think that's also one of the fundamental issues with that, you know, that, that we have with gaming and, and esports and the growth is that the majority of people are actually priced out of it entirely, uh, whether it's from streaming, being able to actually have a stable connection to stream, to playing the games themselves. I mean, all of those barriers to entry just make it that you're actually speaking to a very, very tiny core market. Um, and I mean, at least, you know, within South Africa, it's a predominantly just white market. Um, and that's a problem because that's not that's not the majority of the population. And so therefore, you're already working then with a very tiny audience base. And then even within that audience, very few people, for example, um, and, and it's such a distinct difference you know people group gaming and esports together but they're actually two very different worlds with different different very different cultures in a lot of ways uh to the point that I, you know most gamers actually don't care about esports uh, unfortunately and that's just the reality of what it is so you already have a narrow market that's even narrow when you just bring it down to just esports so 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 that, that barrier entry is huge and and that's been one of the big problems and i've written about it countless times it's a difficult one to 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 overcome because you know as from a gaming from the gaming industry point of view there's very little we oh i say very little it's, it's very difficult for us to to start building that infrastructure because that's very much the role of government and, and those rolling out and those projects that they're trying to do and i think you've seen a lot of success across africa where the governments have kind of put their hands up going we're going to actually bring the connectivity through um so it very much is a conversation that needs to that needs to involve government um i think i don't i find it difficult to see how we do it otherwise um i mean there's been discussion about various options and i guess you know those are still on the cards but it's a difficult topic to overcome um, uh, to 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 figure out how do we actually just minimize those barriers to entry? Because I've had people um, come up to me and go, "Well, look, I'm in the township, but I really love esports and I love what you write about and what you do, and I want to get involved. Like, how do I do that?" Like, I don't have an answer. You know, I, yeah. I you can't spend five thousand rand on a console, um, and then paying monthly costs of you know up to a thousand rand a month just to get stable. And like most people can't do that. Um, and I guess even within COVID now, more than ever, you know, price like uh, you know costs are, are have to get minimized. So it's even harder now when people actually need to cut back on on unessential or non-essential expenses. So it's a difficult it's a difficult challenge, um, and it's one that people have definitely raised and one of you know we've spoken about a few times. But how do we actually achieve that? I think it, you know again it comes back to we have to do it together, um, because otherwise it's a very monumental task to do otherwise on your own. Just um, just on the esports space, Glenn, um, have you seen any trends uh, that, that we as a continent could perhaps learn from uh, in places like Asia? Oh, man, I've actually I've written about it. I'm so passionate about it because it's like, you know, often we kind of go, well, look at our markets and look at, you know, all this challenge that we've obviously sort of explained. But again, I mean, you look at the growth of esports in, in places like uh, you know, in Brazil, for example. Um, again, a space that wasn't necessarily well known for 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 its scene. 
uh, across various games. Uh, but now there are some of the top teams across the various titles. Um, I mean, specifically in Counter-Strike, you know, CSGO, I mean, they, their team from Brazil, I mean, was the top team in the world. Yeah. I mean, they had their, their own era. So, so you look at places like that, you look at places like Taiwan as well, uh, within the League of Legends space. I mean, these guys are going to Worlds and getting through to the quarterfinals. Um, I mean, they, they're doing amazing things with a small a small population size um obviously the the the, the challenges they are very different to the challenges we face here um but but i do think it's about there was a there was just a, there was a there was a lot of collaboration in those spaces and and i think there weren't a lot of players there so the market went as fragmented as they are within our you know within our region um, i mean you also again and i've mentioned before looking at india as well where they also had massive growth, but they had to fuel start that, they had to fuel it themselves. They really had to kickstart their own scene. Um, and and as they've grown over time, I mean, now it's it's, it's a place. I mean, they hosted they hosted a Counter Strike major there. I think it was a major or a minor. I'm not sure now, but you know, so so it's about looking at all these different markets and sort of cherry picking key lessons or key ways they overcame their own. Um, 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 sort of challenges and, and and executing them here. And I think what it comes down to as well is going, they looked at the West and saw, okay, what is the West doing? But they also knew we're our own place and we have our own unique challenges. And I think that's also the problem with our approach often that we have is we kind of go, let's emulate what we see does well. But the reality is, for example, mobile gaming should have been far bigger here in esports than it should be overseas, because we mm -hmm. don't we have the you know the unique opportunity where mobile penetration is so huge, and it's very much like you said the only for some people the only access they have to 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 the online world. So for already for that, it's like that's already a problem in our approach because we we not we not we completely ignoring. Uh, a, a super powerful uh, opportunity and a lifestyle aspect that we have. So, so yeah, it's really about looking at how those markets took their own unique challenges and addressed those, keeping in mind the lessons and the the, the sort of examples that are set up, you know, through the West. And you know, by the West, I mean America and Europe, and you know, obviously South Korea, China to some degree. Sure, and you know, it's a great point you bring up there, Glenn, where a lot of mobile devices are. Uh, users' primary source of entertainment, so it means they have a higher uh, percentage of their income to spend solely on their mobile device, which boosts uh, the spend. From a publisher's perspective, uh, we do factor this in in terms of uh, the market and the certain caps. We focus on data-like games, looking at games that are more asynchronous rather than synchronous, and it's it's exciting trends that we're seeing because we believe that Africa is where Southeast Asia was uh, many years ago. So hopefully we can follow the trend and the explosion. And what sorry, I, just on that point, sorry, just sure, because uh, there's sure. a question that, that Nick's asked around if Indian cafes are a potential solution. Um, you know, the way that uh, that way the career, <laughs> Joe saw the comment about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I'm going to clip that up. <laughs> Yeah, no, you do win that. Uh, but but just the next question around, so are internet cafes a potential solution like the Korean PC banks? Um, and that's a conversation that's also, you know, been brought up before and something we discussed. And unfortunately, I don't think it's viable. Um, I think you've seen sort of internet cafes, you know, were around back in like the, I don't know, the early 2000s. I feel like 2020 has been such a long year. I just don't remember anything before it. Like it all just feels like decades ago. Um, but but unfortunately, we, we felt, we've seen they haven't really done very well uh, and they haven't lasted very long at all. Um, I think within Korea, there, there's a culture where PC Bangs is entrenched within um, the, the culture of Korea. And so you find there, that's why access accessibility 
isn't really much of an issue because people don't have their own machines. They all just go to PC banks and they all go there with friends and it's a place to hang out the way that we hang out at the malls. Um, that's how they do it there, you know, with, with PC banks. So I don't think our culture really very much allows for it. And obviously I'm speaking very much from a South African context with that specific thing, you know, you know, the rest of Africa, potentially there is a, a, a some country with that market, it could work. Um, I know, you know, we have we have some some of the orgs in you know, South Africa that have, you know, so for example, ATK have the, the internet cafe um, and, and, and there was a few others have done it as well. And they found success through sort of birthday parties and throwing things like that, where it's catering to a very young audience and groups. Um, but, but, but I just don't see it as a viable option to, to erase that issue of accessibility. Um, and it was something I'd done some research on um, when I was writing about it, but yeah. It's, it's interesting that you talk about, yeah, tr trying to learn from other places, but also find our own solutions. And it's something, having worked in mobile for a long time, that I saw, uh, you know, when you look at innovation in Africa, um, mobile money, uh, we played a massive part in as a, as a continent in, in, in kind of the adoption there. Um, I think Call Me Backs uh, originated in Africa. Um, you've got the other things as well that really started here. And then other parts of the world were like, oh, that's a really good idea, actually. It caters to a completely different audience that we didn't even think about. Um, so there's definite need to look at what we can do, um, you know, African solutions to African problems, right? And I suppose a, a lot of this innovation was, was traditionally driven by, um, by necessity. And when I say necessity, I mean uh, that the tools and the structures that had that were already there uh, that catered for the West and didn't really fit the needs for, for, for our, our, our users here. And so I think that um, through this, there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of kind of introspection that we need to do as well and see what the real problems are and how we can fit them uh, ourselves as, as, as Africans. Sure, and previously I spoke a bit about the funds and the investments uh, we've received as a company. I'd love to ask you both, starting with Glenn, is it a myth about is there money in the scene? Have you noticed an increase in investments? Would love to hear both your thoughts, starting with you, Glenn. So... <laughs> The money conversation is always a, it's always, it ends up being a very controversial one, um, to be honest. And I think it's controversial unnecessarily so. I think people don't want to mm. talk about money because everyone has a, there's a, and, and it's not, it's not exclusive, it's, it's not exclusive to South Africa. I think globally gaming and it still has a sort of, a, or an esports, specifically esports, almost has a sort of a, um, um, imposter syndrome where we feel the need to to overestimate and overstate our value because we still feel like the underdog that's fighting to be respected and it's like guys it's, mm -hmm. it's long gone i mean the debates people still go like oh traditional sports versus esports like no one cares it doesn't matter esports is what it is and traditional sports are what they are and there's no need to have to do this this sort of conversation of pretending the two are are equal or need to compete with each other or you know and i think that comes down to how money and and, and funding and those things are approached people don't like to talk about money within esports um and it's funny because you know nick and i have actually spoken about it before in terms of getting actual data with like out of esports and gaming it's so difficult so to be honest to have an informed opinion is quite difficult right now to to, to know you know how the funds are doing um, i mean there was a conversation there was a twitter thread i got started last week i think it was where someone's actually asking like hey orgs like are you are you guys making money being in esports? Like, you know, what it's mm. like, what are your costs? And everyone's like, whoa, you can't ask that. That's like private, that's confidential. Um, and so I think that mindset is actually hurting us because people aren't being quite honest around, you know, 
is there money to be made in esports and gaming? What are the kind of costs looking like? Um, you know, there's not an accurate picture being built, and that hurts us in a lot of ways because one, brands don't know how to estimate things, and that's why you get people that come in and tell a brand, oh, yeah, just spend half a million and you will totally get great ROI. And they spend it, they get completely, they, they get nothing out of it, and then they never they never spend money again. And that hurts long-term growth. Um, so to be honest, I, the, the, the myth of money, I mean, there isn't, I, I, I think the reality is, I, I think that's obviously why people don't want to shout about it. It's like there isn't a lot of money being made. And, and I think the approach that we need to take is not about, it's not a quick win. This is not a quick, easy money-making um, sort of um, investment. Uh, even within, even in the States, I mean, even in, in the US, when you look at League of Legends and you look at Overwatch and the amount of money that that that, that um, organizations and, and venture cap has spent, they have VC money there. And even those guys are going, we know we're not going to get our money back within the next two to three years, maybe five years, right? And that's in a scene that's been established that has, you know, the, 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 the culture that America has of overspending on everything. They're even going, we need, like, we're only going to get money back in like maybe five years, if that. Uh, for now, they're just trying to break even. So I think that kind of sets the tone when you bring it back to within the world of Africa as well, and in specifically South Africa, there, there isn't really massive money being made, if any. I think I think people really just try to cover their costs. Um, you, know, you also see in terms of sort of the wages that people get paid and the salaries, it's so small. Um, so, so there isn't money to be made. I think the reality, I think we can all agree with that, even though people don't like to say that. But having said that, there is massive potential. Uh, it's just about approaching it the right the, the right way, um, and, and also being realistic about when you're going to see those returns. So you see the brands that have actually been involved in within the gaming space for a while, for a couple of years. You've seen they've also started to adjust how they spend money now, where they're being a bit more uh, sustainable in their approach of spending it. So there's money to be made, and I think those brands that, st that stick it out will absolutely get huge returns. Um, but I think the reality is we're not going to see that in the next year or two. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a long-term, a medium to long-term approach before we start seeing, uh, you know, significant gains. Yeah, def definitely playing the, the, the long game here, I think. But, uh, you know, that's not to say that people aren't spending. People are spending. Um, our middle class is growing uh, incredibly. And uh, I think that there is a need, though, to think about how people spend and look at different business models to suit that. So, you know, whilst you might not get someone that is willing to, to spend um, $30 in one go, you will have someone that is willing to spend $1 a day for 30 days, right? Because it, it equates to the same amount, but it's just the, the mentality of, of, of spending in one big chunk. And I've seen that time and time again through a few different um, different verticals. So uh, I think it's about, yeah, talking to people, getting understanding customers, understanding how they're willing to spend and, and working our business models around that, whether that's through premium or, or whatever. You know, uh, we're hoping, you know, we are no longer going to be the exception of what we've done and they're going to be more success stories across the continent. And in terms of making money, a cheeky little comment, we've got our Series A Q1 of next year. So you will definitely be seeing a return in Caritas, just saying. Um, but what we have a question, uh, you know, from the chat, Afrogamer, a question for Glenn. How do we unlock interest in games from developers in Africa? Many don't know about these games and we are so stuck on foreign games. Yeah, that's that's also been a, a hot topic, um, I, and I think um, it's a problem. 
you, you'll find a lot of, and you'll see local game devs will say it themselves, you have to succeed overseas before people likely take you seriously. Um, and I think it, it is it is a mindset change. Um, I, I also think we need to have more conversation um, because in the past, you know, game devs have, have you know, and rightfully so, uh, to some degree, I've said, you know, journalists don't actually talk about local game devs, uh, you know, local games that are being made. It's hard to get the word out. Uh, but then, you know, I returned, I was like, but where are my press releases? <laughs> you know, um, and, and again, it's about just opening those lines of communication, I think is the first step. Um, and, and even when I said, and I, I remember, you know, when that conversation came up a couple of years ago, I said, guys, I want to write about local games. I want to play them. I want to give them a spotlight. I don't get them. I don't receive them. Um, but we do receive international games. And so that's why we there's always a cycle. We need to game. I rarely see game reviews of local games. Um, I, I really see it happen still to this day. And I think it's, you know, there's a conversation needs to be had of like, what, how do we create this communication? I think it's on both sides. It's definitely not a sort of a, a blame game per se, but I think it always comes back to, let's just have these conversations. So how do we create interest? We need to start talking first. We need, we actually need to know what's out there. And and I think again, you know, panels like this and, and, and your stories as well, and you know, all the conversation then from Joe, I think these are the things that start to create those discussions. Um, but 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 I mean, even you know, when Joe is saying like people, you know, you don't have to actually apply to do work just for locally, you can overseas in my mind. I was like, oh, I've actually I've never thought about that for gaming and, and do you know what I mean? Like even that kind of just that statement alone already is just opening for me purchases really just going, man, I need to actually like think about that a bit more. So, so really I think it's about just creating, creating those lines of communication and getting people to chat. And I think through those conversations, organically, you start to see what people are interested in and what people aren't. Uh, and, and I think that's the approach we need to take. And again, it comes back to this common theme of, of uh, collaboration and working together and obviously that's across you know across africa and really just having those conversations and as you said earlier having that that business mindset as well like yes. don't just make a game and assume people are gonna know about it because you tell a few of your mates you know it's really about being able to to learn how to market it how to communicate it feel free to give me a call always willing to advise um and yeah i think that's that's super important as well when we're talking about uh getting people to know about local games sure and putting money where our mouth is. I'm not just going to say there is talent in Africa and us as a publisher aren't looking. We've actually signed uh, a publishing agreement with an extremely talented studio, Kene, based in Ethiopia. So there is talent. We are looking. And I just hope that more people are going to be looking as well. And I see Liam in the chat as well saying, howdy, that's another opportunity for games to be able to be seen. It's a monthly event called Picture Game, where it gives indie developers the opportunity to get that visibility. So thanks, Liam, for listening and for being a part of this as well. So look, what I'd say is just because of time, you know, closing thoughts. Uh, what is something that uh, you both are most looking forward to in industry in Africa, starting with you, Joe, and then Glenn? Ah, oh, there's so much. So, so I'm in a very privileged situation where, whereby I could actually live. I could live in my my home country of the UK. I could live in places in Europe and possibly the US as well. And but I choose to live in 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 South Africa. Um, and yes, it's partly the weather, okay. But it's also because there's so much opportunity here. It's a super exciting place to to work as well as live. 
Um, you know, people say, oh, Africa's dangerous. I'm like, no, Africa's exciting. Uh, there's so much going on. Um, so I'm just really excited to see uh, more investment coming in. Um, I think that as the investment comes in from, uh, from international places, uh, that will help build uh, our local scene and it will help build local investment as well. Uh, and I'm really excited to see more mentorship, more local role models, and just a, a really exciting growing community uh, that, that is already being, being built by some fantastic people across the continent. And uh, I'm very lucky to be a part of it. I mean, I guess for me, the, the, the thing I'm most excited about, um, and I think it's also uh, partly why I'm so excited to being a part of Nibble, is collaboration is quite a big thing. It's a quite a big ethos in, in, in the org. Um, and I think, uh, you know, my business partner, Keegan, like when we talk, it's always about how can we actually broaden the scope of work and the way that we look at things and that approach. And so really my 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 thing that I'm really excited about is sort of this pan-African movement. I really want to see this pan-African mindset start to you know permeate everything from from not just eastwards but from a gaming point of view, from you know, even from a journalistic point of view. Like I want to actually start hearing about stories from you know other countries uh, within Africa and being able to help tell those stories as well and shed a light on those or, or shed a light on a voice, those voices to tell those stories. So so really to me, it's, it's, I, I'm really looking forward to this, this African movement. Uh, and I think those conversations are starting to be had. And I think talks like this also start those conversations as well. And, mm -hmm. and I'm really looking forward to, to, to seeing that grow and, and become you know, the routine and, and something that becomes normal. And that we start getting you know, an, an Africa com thing kind of happening, you know, as opposed to it was waiting for, for, for international recognition. So that's really what I'm looking forward to. Sure. And from my side, uh, in the short term, exciting things from an Africa perspective, uh, Kenneth Studios, the game, uh, Gabetta, we're going to be looking to soft launch that within the next month. Exciting times to see the support in Africa and as we scale that globally. And ultimately, a bit to the medium to long term future, I'm looking forward to seeing the growth of uh, studios and developers across the continent and the talent and games being spoken about at an international stage. So I think there's a lot of promise and a lot of things to look forward to in this space. I'd also like to say we have a few messages uh, in the comments and in terms of Discord. Uh, we will be in the Discord after this. Uh, being able to answer some questions and just want to say a big thank you to everyone who have woken up early to listen to us or listening to a recording. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you all. And thank you so much once again to Joe and Glenn for joining me on this. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.